Dear listeners, welcome to our podcast Reading Continues at Home, which resulted from the reading circles at the Weisse Haus, initiated by Malu Solfjord as part of her curatorial residency. As this exchange program was organized together with Blockfrei, we wanted to include them in this episode and were more than happy that Eva Kovac was following our invitation. She manages the program together with Jana Dolecki and Nevena Jankovic. At this point, we would like to thank you for this pleasant cooperation and send greetings all the way to you. Additionally to the residency program, we provide studio spaces for Vienna-based artists. Our former participants Lisa Großkopf and Lena Schwingshandel have decided to share their travel journals from a research trip at the Tropical Islands Resorts with you. To close the circle of this almost house in production, Alexandra Grausam, who runs the Weisse House with a lot of energy for more than 10 years, recites two texts as well. From Paradise with Love and Greetings from the White House in Free Fall is finally completed with a reading by Danish artist Sophie Erlund. Have fun listening to them. Welcome back to Reading Continues at Home. Today is our reading circle number six, if I remember correctly. It's so hard to keep track um, on the days and on the time, as you probably also feel. But it is uh, Sunday, late April. My name is Malou, and today I'm reading from Bonholm. And I've been here for two weeks now, in this little island in the Baltic Sea. And it's been a great privilege to be by the sea. And to be with my family, of course. And I've also brought a lot of people on Skype to the sea, which has been a really nice experience um, to be able to show all the all my friends um, who are who are isolated in their apartments and not allowed to go outside or doesn't have anywhere outside to go um, to to be able to bring them to the sea. And especially one of them actually told me when I showed her the sea that um, she could almost smell the smell of the sea just by looking at it through the screen. I thought that was so nice. And then I also realized the smell of the sea is, for me, connected to a certain sense of hope. Because I always went to the sea whenever I was feeling sad or depressed or anxious, I always knew that whenever I would get to the sea, and especially if I could jump in the sea, uh, everything would be all right somehow. So for me, the smell of the sea is smell of hope. And I wonder what all of you connect to the smell of the sea. I would love to know that. So today's episode is called From Paradise with Love and Greetings from the White House in Free Fall. And as always, it has um, a different series of meanings. But one could, of course, be that um, 
that I'm sending you love from paradise here. And then the greetings from the White House comes from my residency at uh, the White House in Vienna. That's why it's a house where we will also hear some readings from today. And the special thing today is that where earlier episodes have always been a mix of fiction and reality, today all the texts are true. Well, that is probably not true, because the only truth is the one we choose to believe in. And I for sure do believe just as much in P.B. Longstocking. And perhaps I believe even more in her than some of the people whose words we will hear today. So let me just rephrase that. All the texts today are written within the past year, except for one, which is the one called Free Fall. And this is actually a bit ironic because Free Fall is probably the most accurate definition of how the current situation has felt since it begun around um, this year or just before we finished 2019. But the text Free Fall is actually written 10 years ago. And the first text we're going to hear today is a text that I never read before. And I don't think any of you did because I'm pretty sure it's not published yet. Um, but the story is that after we started... Um, making this podcast and sending it out. Katja, who is responsible for Studio Das Weisse House and the residency program, meaning that she has also been the one um, responsible for me. She's been my contact person when I was at the residency in Vienna. Um, and Katja is also the one who actually came up with the whole idea to make a podcast to transform the reading circle into a podcast. So I'm really grateful for that. So a few weeks ago when we started um, the podcast, one of the um, artists who used to have her studio at Das Weisse House, but who now lives in Helsinki, she contacted Katja and to say like how much she enjoyed listening to the podcast. So of course we also asked her to join in and she agreed and she asked which text she should read. And um, her name is Lena, and I came across her work, Lena Swingshandel. I don't know if I say it right. I'm sorry, Lena. But I came across um, her work when I was uh, in the residency at Das Weisse House, where I was looking into the archives of who had uh, been there before me. And I remember that I found a work of hers that was called, um, let me see, what is it called? Südsee, I think it's called. Uh, it's called something with currywurst. It's called Südsee Palmen Currywurst, and it's um, it's explained as a performance lecture that is uh, somehow um, a studies into paradise. Paradise Studies, I think they call it, because it's a it's a collaborative collaborative work with um, Lisa Großkopf, another studio artist at Das Weiße House. So I asked Lena if she wanted to read um, some of her texts from from this piece, 
And she said yes. So I am very excited to share the text on this little um, paradise with you today. Hi, this is Lena and Lisa. We are two visual artists and friends reading today from Helsinki and Vienna. Last summer, when the world was still all white, when borders were open and Corona meant nothing but bad tasting beer, we had the idea, which seems these days more questionable than ever, to travel for 14 days through the indoor water park with the promising name Tropical Islands. Since you might have never heard from this place, we want to give you a very short description. It's a five hectare hall in the eastern part of Germany, filled with the largest what they call indoor rainforest. You will find there as well a couple of swimming pools, playgrounds, hotel rooms and wellness facilities. Elements of nature, culture and architecture from all over the globe are quite randomly thrown together to create a very strange interpretation of the tropics. We stayed inside throughout the two weeks in our efforts to understand this place and almost fell into its madness ourselves. Throughout our trip, um, we kept a travel journal which describes our ups and downs and daily rituals. And I felt that some of our feelings and thoughts then are also somehow comparable to our current situation. And so this is what we read to you today. Um, and I'm sorry for all the non-German speakers, we haven't translated it yet. I hope you enjoy. We each picked a few of the texts to give an overview. Frühmorgens gingen wir zum Frühstücksbuffet. Danach fotografierten wir ein bisschen unser schönes Zimmer und die Gitter vom Fenster. Wir nehmen uns vor, die ersten Tage erstmal alles auszuprobieren, um den Kulturschock möglichst schnell zu überwinden. Wir spazierten durch den Regenwald zur Sauna. Auf dem Weg kletterte Lisa auf den Balkon einer Thai Lodge, um den Ausblick zu sehen. Ich habe mich nicht getraut. Dann waren wir zweimal in der Sauna und danach unter, den, unter der tropischen Dusche. Zurück im Zimmer starteten wir unseren ersten Umzug in die Adventure Lodge, direkt an der Südsee. Superschön. Mit Aussicht auf den Boulevard auf der einen Seite und einer Veranda Richtung Strand. Heute Morgen pflückte ich eine gelbe Blume vor dem Fenster. Wir gaben sie in eine Makava-Flasche als Vase und führten sie mit. Sie passt sehr gut zu unseren Verandamöbeln. Wir waren sehr glücklich. Zu Mittag gingen wir einen veganen Burger essen, der war weniger schön. Danach machten wir ein Nickerchen und dann ließen wir uns, nachdem wir schon zwei Tage jeden Tag am Tattoo-Studio vorbeigingen und überlegten, wo und welches Motiv, beide eine Hibiskusblüte airbrushen. Lisa auf der Schulter und ich auf dem Oberarm. Stolz kauften wir uns auch jede eine Blumenkette und buchten die Ballonfahrt für den nächsten Tag. Danach ging es zur Happy Hour in Tropical Garden. Wir tranken beide ein Tropical Feeling. Ich versuchte mit dem Barkeepern ein bisschen zu plaudern, aber sie schienen alle sehr uninteressiert. Ich fühlte mich unwillkommen und mir waren sie alle unsympathisch. Wir tranken unsere Cocktails aus und machten wieder einen Ausflug nach Amazonias, um eine Zigarette zu rauchen und Sauerstoff zu tanken. Es regnete ein bisschen und es war angenehm erfrischend. 
Wir erkundeten die Gegend. Ich spazierte auf die Hügel hinauf und begutachtete die Gräben und die Abzäunung dahinter. Es scheint schwer, hier ein- oder auszubrechen. Die Halle von außen sieht sehr hübsch aus. Am Abend gönnten wir uns das All-You-Can-Eat-Asia-Buffet. Uns war ein bisschen schlecht, vor allem nach dem grünen Wackelpudding. Wir beschlossen lieber nicht mehr zum Abendbuffet zu gehen. Das erneute Shoppen danach am Boulevard hob unsere Laune wieder. 17. Juli 2019. Ich bin müde. Ich fühle mich so, als wäre ich einen Marathon gelaufen. Oder zwei. Nicht, dass ich in echt schon jemals mehr als drei Kilometer am Stück gelaufen wäre. Okay, sagen wir zwei Kilometer. Aber so stelle ich es mir vor. In Wirklichkeit sind wir heute nur ins Solarium und in die Sauna. Und sonst haben wir eigentlich heute gar nichts gemacht. Das ist so komisch. Ich habe mich voll darauf gefreut, dass ich urviel Zeit haben werde. Ich muss hier weder kochen, noch abwaschen oder arbeiten. Ich musste keine Ausstiegseröffnungen. Ich treffe weder Freunde noch Familie. Drei Tage wach fällt weg und damit auch der Kater danach. Ein richtiges Zeit- und Energiegeschenk quasi. Ich habe mir sogar extra noch im Max 20 eine Springschnur gekauft. Ich dachte, ich werde im sportlichen den Tag starten. Im Fitnessraum oder Yoga am Strand oder eben Springschnur springen. Dann frühstücken, dann chillen an der Südsee. Dort ein bisschen lesen und die Freundschaftsanwender weiterknüpfen. Zwischendurch mal rutschen, schwimmen oder in die Sauna. Am Nachmittag dann in der Strandbahn der Lagune den Film fertig schneiden oder andere Laptop-Sachen machen. Und am Abend noch im Wellnessbereich den Tag gemütlich ausklingen lassen. Also richtig gesund und aktiv. Detox. Das mit dem Laptop in der Strandbar habe ich sogar kurz mal probiert, aber es war unmöglich dort zu arbeiten. Es war viel zu laut, der Tisch klein und Steckdose gab es auch keine. Vom großen Aktiv-Wellness-Programm bin ich meilenweit entfernt. Tatsächlich habe ich meistens gerade genug Motivation für unser Standard-Pflichtprogramm. Frühstück, Zimmerfotos, Umzug, Mittagssalat, Mittagsschläfchen, Sauna, Asia-Buffet, Zigarette in der Bora Bora Lounge. Danach fühle ich mich wie eine nasse Semmel. Oder halt wie eine ausgequetschte Zitrone. Ich frage mich, warum ich so antriebs- und lustlos bin. Liegt es an der Tatsache, dass ich seit über einer Woche den echten Himmel nicht mehr gesehen habe? An der schlechten Luft? Am Lärm? Den nährstoffbefreiten Essen? Oder bekomme ich einfach meine Periode? 20. Juli 2019 Ich kann keine Uder Nudeln mehr sehen. Am Anfang waren wir ganz froh, als wir draufgekommen sind, dass die mit Sambal Oleg ganz gut schmecken. Aber jetzt reicht es dann auch wieder. Das ist ja kein Essen. Ich sehne mich nach Gemüse und Obst. Heute probierten wir mal zur Abwechslung was Neues. Die Pizza Margarita vom Mondial Food Court. Apropos Gemüse. Die war jetzt nicht schlecht, aber auch nicht gut. Sie war okay. Sie schmeckte ungefähr so wie die billigste Tiefkühlpizza vom Hofer. Kostet dort wahrscheinlich um die 60 Cent, hier 8,50 Euro. Ist also auch eher nichts, das man wiederholen müsste. Aber langsam gehen uns die Alternativen aus. Der vegane Burger war irgendwie doch ganz okay, also jetzt geschmacklich. Aber der sah so ekelhaft aus, dass ich den auch nicht wirklich nochmals essen möchte. Und das, was sie als Rahmen verkaufen, ist, man kann es nicht anders sagen, widerlich. 
Diese Suppe war versalzt und überwürzt und fettig mit so extrem harten Nudeln und auch der Tofu war ungewöhnlich hart. Arg. 22.07.2019 Wir sind wieder früh aus dem Haus, bereits um 6 Uhr, bereit zu filmen an der Südsee. Dann frühstückten wir genüsslich und legten uns wieder ins Bett für ein Nickerchen. Danach gingen wir ins Fitnessstudio wieder, um wieder fit zu werden. Schließlich packten wir zusammen und zogen weiter. Diesmal, diesmal war es wirklich Abschied von der Suite. Aber auch das letzte Mal umziehen, darauf freuten wir uns. Wir hatten vor ein paar Tagen verlängert. Diesmal durften wir uns das Zimmer aussuchen und wir entschieden uns nach einem kleinen Spaziergang für Afrika. Ein kleines Kolonialzimmer neben dem Uhrturm mit Blick auf den Spielplatz. Ganz okay, leider sehr laut während der Kinderdisco und der Schatzsuche. 23.07.2019 Heute war ein schwieriger Tag. Wir frühstückten und fanden eine Kakerlake am Frühstückstisch. Danach gingen wir ein bisschen filmen. Dabei beobachteten wir den Typen, der am Morgen die Piratenschiffe einfängt. Später gingen wir nochmal ins Fitnessstudio. Ich sah den Leuten draußen am Parkplatz zu und sie mir. Gerne hätte ich für einen Moment getauscht. Es war eine angenehme Morgenstimmung. Die Sonne schien sanft auf den Asphalt. Ich stellte mir wieder vor, durch den kleinen Wald hin hinter den Autos und über den Parkplatz zu laufen. Später tranken wir wieder ein All I Need. Aber auch das half heute nichts. Wir haben Heimweh. Es wird sonniger und es kommen immer mehr Leute. Unsere Energie ist am Ende und wir frag fragen uns mehr denn je, was wir hier eigentlich tun. Uns fehlen die Worte. 24. Juli 2019 Lena und ich fragen uns gerne, was wohl der beste Job im Tropenland ist und ob die Leute gerne hier arbeiten. Überraschenderweise scheint es ja so. Einer der Rettungsschimmer erzählte uns, dass er sehr gerne hier arbeitet, weil er den Winter und die Kälte hasst. Und hier kann er das ganze Jahr über in Shorts rumlaufen. Im Sommer ist er gerne bei der Surfstation. Draußen in Amazonias. Viele seiner deutschen Kollegen beschweren sich, wenn sie im Sommer für den Dienst draußen eingeteilt werden, weil ihnen dort zu heiß ist. Lena meinte gestern, dass sie wohl an der Rezeption im Wellnessbereich arbeiten würde. Dort riecht es gut und die Leute sind schön entspannt oder wollen sich entspannen. Es ist auch deutlich leiser als im Rest der Halle. Oder gleich im Asiahaus, das ist wahrscheinlich der ruhigste Ort. Aber als Masseurin all die übergewichtigen Leute anzugreifen? Na, ich weiß ja nicht, wer nicht meins. Lustig wäre vielleicht, als Kinderanimateurin zu arbeiten. Da kann man den ganzen Tag Bilder malen, Sachen basteln und sich hin und wieder als Piratin verkleiden. Aber am coolsten finde ich ja die Balloon-Crew. Zumindest sind die Typen die coolsten vom ganzen Team. Ja, schaut schon noch ein bisschen armselig aus, wenn sie den vermeintlichen Heißluftballon so hinter sich herziehen. Aber dafür bleibt man fit, denke ich. Sieht zumindest super anstrengend aus. Ob die überhaupt auch Frauen nehmen? Ich glaube, ich habe nur Männer gesehen. Am traurigsten finde ich definitiv die Vorstellung, als Gärtnerin oder Tierpflegerin zu arbeiten. Man möchte doch annehmen, dass man diesen Beruf gewählt hat, weil man Pflanzen bzw. Tiere liebt. Und dann ist man den ganzen Tag mit dieser lebensfeindlichen Umgebung konfrontiert. Die Pflanzen im Urwald haben kaum Überlebenschancen. Ohne Sonnenlicht helfen auch die besten Gärtner-Skills nicht. Und angeblich werden die Spatzen ja regelmäßig desinfiziert. What the fuck? Was soll das überhaupt heißen? Frage ich mich. 25.07.2019 Es fühlt sich gerade so an, als wäre das alles nie passiert. Ich wollte heute zuerst gar nicht nach Hause. Der Himmel, die Halle, war schon so vertraut. 
Mit Lisa war es so vertraut und mir wurde richtig mulmig zumute in dieser Aufbruchstimmung. Ich hatte das Gefühl, ich muss noch schnell Fotos machen, so viele Eindrücke wie möglich sammeln, ja nichts verpassen, ja nichts vergessen. Ich wollte alles in mir aufsaugen und dann ging plötzlich alles so schnell. Nachdem ich es nach 20 Minuten endlich geschafft habe, alles in den Koffer zu quetschen, mussten wir uns eh schon beeilen. Wir waren beide sehr aufgeregt und voll bepackt und haben die Hände haltend den Ausgang in Angriff genommen. Und dann, wow, diese Stille und die Luft, die zart die Haut streichelt. Die helle Sonne, der weite Himmel, alles sah so schön und so echt aus. Und in dem Moment, glaube ich, vergaßen wir beide, wie toll wir gerade noch die Halle fanden. Das war nichts im Vergleich zur echten Welt. Es war auch ein Erlebnis, Zug zu fahren, plötzlich so schnell so weit zu kommen und kein Ende. Und die Farben, das vielfältige Grün der Wiesen und Wälder, keine staubigen Palmen, das Abendlicht, das nicht nur Schatten wirft, sondern das ganze Land überflutet. Ich war begeistert. Gestern haben wir Tatort und Vorstadtweiber geschaut. Das war schön. Wir freuten uns beide auf Wien und mussten sehr viel lachen. Wir waren nach langer Zeit wieder gut gelaunt und motiviert, so als hätten wir uns erst jetzt akklimatisiert und wären richtig angekommen. Wir meinten, wir könnten nochmal verlängern. Leider muss ich morgen arbeiten und das Geld geht uns aus. Im echten Leben hat man plötzlich wieder so viele Verpflichtungen und Möglichkeiten. Es war schlussendlich schön, wenn man sich an die Abläufe gewöhnt und jeden Tag seine Rituale hat. Ich werde das Salat stehlen müssen. Thank you so much for reading, Lena and Lisa. It was um, really nice to hear your voices. And it's funny since we never met and we've only been emailing. And um, it sounds like a crazy journey you went on last year to this um, paradise resort. I'm looking very much forward to uh, one day meeting you so I can hear more about this. And uh, as you all know, my German is not perfect, so I didn't understand everything. But uh, I understood happy hour and all you can eat, which is, of course, also two very strange concepts. And um, I noticed that you said you felt um, unwillkommen. How do you say? Like you didn't feel welcome in the in the bar, trying to talk to the bartender. And I'm I'm wondering why this is but of course I know the feeling of uh, feeling uh, unwelcome somewhere and that's um, the worst feeling in the world then I like the diary format a lot and uh, I think that um, I mean I totally get your parallel to how it can feel similar to what many people are feeling in isolation and I also think there's a lot of people who is writing a diary for the first time in their life um, right now. And uh, you mention all these like small rituals you create inside a bubble. And um, you also say that it's hard to find motivation from not doing anything all day, I think uh, is something many people can, can relate to during this um, uh, quarantine, which is not what it's called anymore I think but it's uh, still uh, isolation and what I found the most interesting about your reading was of course the kleine Spaziergang für Afrika like all these names they have in this uh, resort you, you stayed in is like super uncanny and uh, as you also say in your description of the 
of the work it's uh, it's an interesting um it's an interesting environment to go and uh, have a look into how postcolonialism is maybe um, still present today so i'm looking very much forward to hear more and for everyone listening uh, i can tell you that there is a youtube video of the girls uh, performance lecture online so if you want to see um, the faces uh, of the person's reading this is actually an opportunity today so from paradise with love we will now move on to the greetings from the White House in free fall. And the White House is uh, today Das Weiße Haus in Vienna, where our next reading will be in the voice of Alexander Grausam, the founder and director of Das Weiße Haus. And Alexandra, I of course only met recently but she is um, really one of these extremely cool power women of the art world that I look very much up to. So I'm super grateful that um, she wants to read with us today. And of course, I'm also thankful that she even invited me in the first place to come to Vienna for the residency and uh, also for the fact that she agreed to host this podcast, which is um, amazing. So thank you, Alexander, for all this. And yeah, when I came to Vienna, you know, everyone, of course, um, I met knew about uh, Das Weiße House and a lot of the... Um, the more established and successful artists told me that they would never have been where they are today if it wasn't for Das Weiße Haus. Because um, what Alexandra has created, there is somehow um, a bridge between, like for the young emerging artists coming out of the academy and then like towards this new scary art world of big um, commercial galleries and different uh, institutions and so on like it can be quite a, a jump out in the real world and what I've heard and what I've experienced is that Das Weiße House is um, kind of a platform to bridge this gap and to um, also challenge somehow to be brave enough to show someone who is um, on their way up and who has something on their mind and who is not yet enrolled um, in a commercial gallery. But of course, uh, the program of Das Weiße Haus does also include a lot of artists who have already um, made their career long time ago but they still want to show at Das Weiße Haus because it has um, such a great program and um, it's it's just a really respected Kunstverein um, that's my impression at least so um, Alexandra you're really doing a great job there and thank you so much for that 
I won't um, introduce the texts yet. Um, I'll just let you read them. But uh, all I can say is that I have chosen them and uh, I chose them specifically for Alexandra. So there is um, a deeper meaning behind that I will, of course, share with you after we have heard Alexandra reading. Hello, my name is Alexandra. I'm from Vienna and I will be reading two texts today. But before I start, I would like to take this opportunity to thank the initiator of this podcast, Malou Sofield, also in this video medium very much. She has not only united people in diverse countries in different situations in a very confusing time, in a very wonderful way. Through this podcast, she also gave the Kunstverein Das Weiße Haus an extended line and structure. When suddenly things changed in the wildest and for me and a lot of people, unknown way. Dear Malou, it's a wonderful enrichment for me to have met you as such an emotional, inspiring and positive person, like an earthy fairy, even in a much shorter time than I thought in Vienna. The choices of the two texts made me smile a lot. So please forgive me that I have exceeded the five minutes now, maybe. And back to my duty today. I will start reading now. <clears throat> Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. A beautiful day in the Rose Garden. Appreciate everybody being here. Today, I would like to provide an update to the American people on several decisive new actions we are taking in our vigilant effort to combat and ultimately defeat the coronavirus. We have been working very hard on this. We have made tremendous progress. When you compare what we have done to other areas of the world, it's pretty incredible. A lot of that had to do with the early designation and the closing of the borders. And as you know, Europe was just designated as the hotspot right now. And we closed that border a while ago. So that was lucky, or through talent, or through luck, call it whatever you want. But through a very collective action and shared sacrifice and national determination, we will overcome the threat of the virus. I also announced Wednesday night, following the advice of our medical professionals who are doing a tremendous job, and we appreciate it very much, that we are suspending the entry of foreign nationals who have been to Europe in the last 14 days from entering the United States. Citizens, permanent residents and our families and even the families returning from Europe will be subject to extra screening and as well self-isolation for a period of 14 days. As the World Health Organization confirmed today, many of the things that what we said were 100% correct, including our designation before them of Europe. 
like our earlier, very aggressive actions with China. This measure will save countless lives. I appreciate a number of the folks behind me. A number of the people behind me said that that saved a lot of lives, that early designation. But it's only the beginning of what we are really doing. And now we are in a different phase. We had some very old and obsolete rules, what we had to live with. It worked under certain circumstances, but not under mass circumstances. They were there for a long time. They were in place for a long time. And we are breaking them now down. They are very usable for certain instances, but not for this. To unleash the full power of the federal government in this effort, today I'm officially declaring a national emergency. Two very big words. The action I'm taking will open up access to up to $50 billion dollars of very importantly, very important and a large amount of money for states and territories and localities in our shared fight against this disease. In furtherance of the order, I'm urging every state to set up emergency operation centers effective immediately. You're going to be hearing from some of the largest companies and greatest retailers and medical companies in the world. They are standing right behind me and to the side of me. Okay, wow. Thank you so much for reading, Alexandra. Um, and thank you so much for the kind words before your reading. That was really, really touching. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say um, except for likewise, of course. Um, and we need uh, a lot of um, earth fairies to um, to survive this world so i'm happy we are all um doing this together thank you and um i know that the text was difficult for you to read and i know it was also a bit of um of a crazy idea of me to suggest you to read it um but i'm happy that you did it because as i said um i think i've said this before that um The podcast is also meant to work as a kind of of healing, uh, a trauma healing, while we're still in the midst of of the trauma. And um, yeah, I remember I once went to therapy, and then the therapist told me that all these uh, voices I had in my head saying uh, how incapable I was of everything, like, you know, when you have these telling yourself all the time that you're not good enough and so on. She told me to try to write all the thoughts down. And then when I read them, I should in my head read them as if it was some someone funny reading them, because then all these uh, irrational thoughts would come out in in a different way and perhaps have a different uh, influence on me. So the idea with asking you to read this text was, of course, to, um, 
to bring up the some of the worst words I've ever heard um, someone uh, saying out loud to hear them again and um, hear them with a different voice and see how that feels and it really it worked much better than I could have imagined because I almost I almost didn't hear all the bad things uh, in this speech because I just uh, listened to your beautiful voice so thank you for that and to those of you who is not aware of what the text was it was um, the press conference from the Rose Garden that um, the President of United States number 45 as Paul Oster calls him um, that he gave on the 13th of March which was I think the first day he uh, even acknowledged or recognized that there was any such thing called uh, Corona in the US and I never listened to a press conference from, from this man before because I I simply refused to. I thought it was as I also heard there's a radio channel who stopped broadcasting them because they say that it's um, dangerous for people's mental health to listen to him. Um, and of course, I don't think this is a good strategy because I think you have to face also the difficult things and the difficult people. But I can understand why they did it. Um, so why did I decide to listen to exactly this speech on the 13th of March? I think it was because I was in Vienna and um, I was with a friend who told me that he was going to hear it and then I thought, okay, maybe now is also the time for me to hear what's going on in the world because um, it was it was really difficult to figure out. Um, and, you know, I felt like the whole world was uh, falling apart. And, of course, I was also thinking that um, everything f we do from here on will have um, huge consequences. So I was interested in following what's going to happen in the U.S. So, therefore, I tuned in to this uh, speech to hear it live. And I think I also mentioned this last week. It was, uh, I think, 45 minutes delayed. Mm. But I will never forget those words. You know, I was in the start park in, in Vienna and it was dark and I was just looking at my phone, listening to what he had to say. And it was just like a long wave of shock coming in. You know, it was just one thing after the other. He said was like... This is so crazy, especially talking about Europe and Asia as as these contaminated places that, you know, he, he kind of just keeps um, complimenting himself for closing the borders, which um, to me is, um, yeah, it's just insane because... Um, you know, also when I wrote the proposal for the exhibition at the Weisse House, I was quoting um, Sebastian Kurz, the Austrian prime minister, for saying, um, he said something about we can both protect the borders and the climate. 
and for me those things just don't uh, work as opposites like borders and climates is like there shouldn't be any borders when it comes to fighting for the climate and also fighting against the virus I mean the virus has traveled across so many borders so I think we need to do the same in order to help each other conquer um, the pandemic I think what I want to say is just that as long as the borders are up and we cannot uh, fly and travel and go across any borders in the world it's just so much extra important to kind of um, break these borders mentally by staying connected so I am so grateful that I got to travel to Austria and to spend some time in Vienna in the residency at the Schweizer House because if I hadn't um, been able to do that this podcast wouldn't exist and yeah I think once again I just want to say thank you for broadening up my horizon and my network and it really means that I'm connected to so many people all around the world and so many of them are also reading in this uh, reading circle and that makes me really happy but the day I heard the press conference 13th of March from the the White House um, I uh, you know I felt like it cannot be true what this man is saying like he keeps talking about uh, Europe and Asia and how lucky or talented it was that he he closed the borders um, and on that note I just really want to say please fight everyone please fight against racism because i've heard about this increasing racism against asian people and that's just horrible and it's so um unfair and meaningless and it's unnecessary and it just i mean doesn't make sense at all no racism makes sense and also internally in denmark i've uh, become aware of racism people from Copenhagen the capital going to the countryside and then the people in the countryside don't want all these people from the big city coming there and you know we all have to live together so please stop being racist against each other but the feeling I had and I think I mentioned this last week the feeling I had when I listened to the words of Trump was free fall and that's why I asked Alexandra to also read this text about free fall um, which I hope um, would be a nicer experience than, than to read the, the president's words because uh, I understand how uncomfortable that can be and I'm happy Alexandra that you said it made you smile reading 
And you also told me that you could uh, keep going. And this is actually someone something that many people have told me who's been reading. They say now they first first they get into it, they really want to continue. And this is like, it makes it all worth it. And that's uh, totally also what we want. We want you to keep reading and keep sharing, of course. But uh, I will let you continue reading now. Hi, it's me again, Alexandra from Vienna. There comes now my second text. Imagine you're falling, but there is no ground. Many contemporary philosophers have pointed out that the present moment is distinguished by a prevailing condition of groundlessness. We cannot assume any stable ground on which to base metaphysical claims or foundational political myths. At best, We are faced with temporary, contingent and partial attempts at grounding. But if there is no stable ground available for our social lives and philosophical aspirations, the consequences must be permanent or at least intermittent state of free fall for subjects and objects alike. But why don't we notice Paradoxically, while you're falling, you will probably feel as if you're floating or not even moving at all. Falling is rela relational. If there is nothing to fall toward, you, won't, you may not even be aware that you're falling. If there is no ground, gravity might be low and you will feel weightless. Objects will stay suspended if you let go of them. Whole societies around you may be falling just as you are, and it may actually feel like perfect stasis, as if history and time have ended, and you can't even remember that time ever moved forward. As you are falling, your sense of orientation may start to play additional tricks on you. The hor horizon quivers in a maze of collapsing lines and you may also lose any sense of above and below, of before and after, of yourself and your boundaries. Pilots have even reported that free fall can trigger a feeling of confusion between the self and the aircraft. While falling, people may sense themselves as being things, while things make sense that they are people. Traditional modes of seeing and feeling are shattered. Any sense of balance is, is disrupted. Perspectives are twisted and multiplied. New types of visuality arise. This disorientation is partly due to the loss of a stable horizon. And with the loss of horizon also comes the departure of a stable paradigm of orientation which has situated concepts of subject and object, of time and space, throughout modernity. In falling, the lines of the horizon shatter, twirl around and superimpose. Finally, the perspective of free fall teaches us to consider a social and political dreams dreamscape of radicalized class war 
from above. One that throws jaw-dropping social inequalities into sharp focus. But falling does not only mean falling apart. It can also mean a new certainty, falling into place. Grappling with grumbling futures that propel us backwards onto an agonizing present. We may realize that the place we are falling toward is no longer grounded, nor is it stable. It promises no community, but a shifting formation. Thank you for listening. Alexandra, thank you so much again. And Hito, thank you so much for writing this text. It's a beautiful text. Hito's style is one of my absolute favorite artists, as you can probably sense if you've heard the other podcasts. I also keep mentioning her over and over again, and I think she's um, amazing. And in this text, I really like how the loss of gravity makes subjects and objects alike. And she makes this uh, twist between humans and things. Like I think it's like human thing. Humans think they are things, and things think they are humans, or something like that. And I think we could need that uh, twist in perception sometimes. And then she says, "Falling is relational," which um, which is also really important to remember. Uh, I think she even asks, "What is there to fall toward?" And I guess that's a question that many of us ask ourselves these days. Um, what are we falling towards? What's what's going to happen after? And um, Hito says that falling is not only about falling apart, but it also means that a new certainty can fall into place. And I'm not quite sure what that means, but... Um, If we if we land after this long free fall into another new place, whatever that may be, I think it, it can only be better because as much as I liked my life before uh, and I had a quite mobile life of uh, traveling and having friends all over the world and having work all over the world and uh, I think um, it was it was too much in the end and I think we need to really think differently my idea with the exhibition at Das Weisse House was to encourage everyone to let go of the old uh, motto or whatever it's called the old saying of getting back in the saddle getting back on the horse uh, meaning if you if you fall off the horse you might as well just get back in, again instead of uh, stay on ground And I said, let's not get back on the horse. Let's uh, try to um, walk the horse differently. You know, maybe ask the horse what it wants or maybe do as PP Longstocking to carry the horse. So I'm really curious about how we will, um, how we will land if there is a place to land after After this fall, at least, I think uh, Hito says um, there's no promise of a community, but of a shifting formation. 
and I have a very strong sense of community uh, these days. Like, uh, no, I, I don't want to go into the community feeling, but I hope many of you, I hope that it resonates with many of you because I have a really enhanced feeling of supporting your local community and also expanding your community to um, to take in people from elsewhere. And um, yeah, let's see. So while we are still... In this free fall, there are a bunch of great initiatives taking place. And uh, one of them is on eFlux, and it is called uh, Letters Against Separation. And it's an initiative by um, Hito Style. So I asked a dear friend of mine to read um, from here, and she will explain everything herself in a minute. But I just want to introduce Eva because she is a very important person to me, and she um, is uh, a new friend that I only got to uh, learn recently in Vienna. But she is a member of Blockfrei, uh, an organization that, among many other things, are doing uh, residencies for curators. And I attended one of these uh, residencies three or four years ago, I think. I can't remember exactly. Um, but that was just such a great uh, time. And I'm so grateful to um, Nevena and Jana, who is also uh, doing the blog fry today, that um, they had me back then because the residency in Vienna really gave me, um, yeah, it gave me so much in so many different ways. But being in um, Vienna for six weeks, I think it was, back in 2017, uh, really made me always uh, feel at home in Vienna. Also, like, ever since then, whenever I come back to Vienna, I really... Yeah, as you can also probably tell now, I am I really miss Vienna, and I'm so sad that I had to leave, so... I will come back as soon as possible. And Blockfrei um, is also the reason why I was invited to Das Weiße House because Das Weiße House wanted to do this collaboration with Blockfrei. So um, they asked for um, a shortlist of uh, alumni and in, in that sense I was uh, connected. So thank you so much all of you girls for organizing this. And thanks for all the good work you're doing. And Eva, I'm so happy that I got to meet you and I can't wait to see you again. And thank you so much for reading. Hello, greetings from Vienna, Austria. My name is Eva. I'm an art historian, uh, art world worker and a member of Blockfry organization, uh, which focuses on innovative cultural practices, curatorial residencies and uh, multicultural projects and mobility of artists and cultural professionals. And many of our activities have now been impeded by the current pandemic situation. I will be reading from something called Letters Against Separation. Uh, this is an online platform uh, for publishing letters. It uh, has been initiated by Hito Style and you can find it online on eFlux. Uh, the main idea behind this collective project is to stay together in self-isolation and reflect on how COVID-19 has impacted uh, participants around the world 
their loved ones, their cities, and their work. Uh, I will now read from a letter by Hanmin Kim, who is in Seoul. Kim is a graphic novelist, a translator, and environmental activist. Hanmin on 2nd April. Dear Paolo, my friend's husband in New Jersey seems to be infected by COVID-19. His grandpa just passed away combating it. Another friend of mine in Finland just tested positive. Dear Paolo, is there anyone you know who has also been affected or should I ask anyone not affected? Because everybody is. It's a matter of degree if you think. The life and death continuum is also a matter of degree. I hope you're okay. This diary I'm writing had its original title as Virus Diary and now it's changed uh, to Letters Against Separation. In fact, I like the first one more, but I think the latter goes better with what I'm actually writing. As I write this, although it's just a monologue, uh, then a, reci a reciprocal exchange yet, I can feel a kind of we being invented that acts against isolation and separation. The only missing part is your reply. I know you will soon. In fact, even considered emailing João uh, Pedro Rodriguez to ask if you are using the same email, but I didn't um, feel like pushing that button yet. Maybe I'll wait one more day. You remember I ran into him in a swimming pool changing room last year. Obviously all naked. After that awkward encounter, I haven't wrote to him for such a long time, not even when his film came out, so it might sound a bit too pragmatic to break the ice just to ask, ask about your email, wouldn't it? By the way, uh, what did you think about his latest work? I'm sidetracking from the topic, but a dose of distraction wouldn't hurt, especially these days. Sometimes it's good to simply stop talking about what we can't stop uh, talking about, if that makes sense. I think the lesson uh, of the Cameron was exactly that. As we all know, Boccaccio wrote uh, this in the wake of the plague outbreak in Florence. Ten men and women escaped from the horror of the city and retreated to a country villa, spending day after day telling endless stories, sometimes amusing, sometimes obscene, but not very relevant to the disease, Uh, that might have been undoubtedly the hot issue of the time. Not surprisingly, lots of stories in the Cameroon is about sex. I find uh, the one about young nuns who wished to experience the highest pleasures of womanhood resulting in their participation in the scene of sex especially amusing. As you lived here for four years, you might know where the center stage of apparently invisible sexual activities in Korea is. Love motels. Did I tell you that Koreans themselves were surprised about how many people actually go to those motels after detailed routes of infected people were being publicized? There were numerous cases uh, of complaints about accidental privacy invasion. A man was exposed uh, to have been on an unreported trip with his secretary, a woman who was suspected as a call girl after frequently, frequently visiting karaoke's, a person whose trail had a missing link around a railway station known to be a prostitution hotspot quickly being stigmatized. 
They were also not necessarily prejudicial, but thought-provoking entries like this. 44-year-old, male, no one district uh, resident, tested positive. He was at his workplace in Mapo district attending a sexual harassment class. Contracted the virus from the instructor. Too much information, isn't it? All this was a fruit of our glorious transparency. People might argue that it's a great thing because you know the route, uh, the route you can plan ahead and avoid certain places. But in fact, wouldn't uh, the official risky places be the safest places because uh, by that time they should be either closed or sprayed with uh, disinfectant that, uh, and has less people, hence more social distance because it will, be, it will have a warning site put on. Damn it. it, I just can't help returning to the topic. Now I'm failing, uh, now I'm failing to sidetrack. Let me continue with my behind-the-scenes stories then. Where was I? Getting a public enemy and instilling fear, amplified as anxiety by transparency and aggressive information campaigning. And yes, now I remember, social surveillance. The incident happened a week ago when nation nationwide panic mode was only intensifying. A Thursday evening... Around 10 o'clock, I got a phone call from my friend Yoon, who's a ra radio producer. Her news was that some politicians visited her workplace to record an interview. After they left, two of them discovered that they previously had contact with a person who was just confirmed to have contracted COVID-19. The two congressmen were tested immediately. If the result came out positive, the entire staff, including Yoon, were going to isolate themselves. Did she have direct contact with any of the two? No. Uh, she just stayed a while in the same space. But it was deemed considerate to play, to play it safe as a precautionary measure. We exchanged some jokes about what should each of us do in isolated times and then hung up. Next morning, uh, she rang me again. I, uh, when she rang me again, I sensed a furious tone. Yoon had uh, just been contacted by an unknown person who tried to interrogate her uh, whether she was infected. She was bewildered by, the, by this abrupt interpolation. It was as if you were stopped by someone, not even an authority, in the street and asked, Excuse me, are you infected? The man turned out to be the janitor of the building where Yoon resided. What happened was that when she called me yesterday, she was in the lobby of the building and there was a neighbor who overheard our conversation. The whole convo, or only a part, we don't know. Important thing is, this witness took the initiative to investigate this dangerous suspect and immediately reported this emergency to the building janitor, the janitor to the president of the resident representatives. Such thing even existed, and the three em emboldened citizens, citizens formed an ad hoc task force, or judicieros, you must say, in Portuguese. Note that nobody ordered this. It was a purely autonomous action. They meticulously uh, reviewed the CCTV record, who gave permission to. 
and identified who Yoon was and somehow managed to figure out her mobile number. They might have followed her until she got to her room. I know from my experience that getting into these CCTV data is very tricky. Even when a burglar broke into my house and I reported it to the police, I couldn't get access. After going through unbearable bureaucracy procedures, you can easily get a negative answer that the information cannot be shared because of privacy issues. But this time, the operation was done, was done lightning quick. Yoon asked back, Well, no, actually, I'm not infected. But let's say if I were, what are you going to, uh, to do with it? The janitor hesitated to answer, but it was clear that these overzealous guys were more than capable to mobilize a meaningful action in the name of the benefit and security of the majority. Yun kept protesting that this clearly constitutes privacy invasion, uh, that neither the janitor nor the other guys had any right to conduct uh, this kind of investigation. And when Yoon asked how they got her private information and who this neighbor was, the janitor replied they couldn't share the info because it's too sensitive. Voila, the perfect Althusserian interpolation. You can be interpolated by them, but not the other way around. And thus, a ubiquitous participatory neo-panopticon, a citizen-led surveillance, was successfully assembled. Remember that all this hassle was based on a single overheard phone conversation. You can imagine the level of paranoia Koreans were reflecting onto each other. When plague appears in town, as Foucault said, the gaze is altered everywhere. And sometimes, and in some places, the gaze is too altered. XX. Thanks for reading, Eva. I think this is a really good text um, reflecting so well the the situation we're living in now, even though uh, Han Min is writing from Seoul and I think he's writing to his friend in um, in New York. As far as I understand, Paulo is Portuguese and he works um, in the UN headquarter in New York. But it just it just feels so universal. So many things of what he's writing, like this CCTV surveillance, uh, is of course very extreme. But the whole suspiciousness of neighbors listening and and being extra aware of who might be contaminated in the building, and I mean it's it's super scary and feels like a a horror movie um but many things feels like a horror movie these days um what i also really like about this text you read is that you can sense it's a personal letter it's a very sincere concern he's expressing for his friend and he i mean maybe especially if you if you read further in the correspondence, so if you go to Eflux, you can read all the letters from uh, Hanmin to Paolo. And um, he's really worried about how his friend is doing, and I think, and I think all of us can relate to that. And then, of course, um, 
there's all these um, love motels, which is an interesting um, cultural insight. I mean, uh, who couldn't uh, need a love motel these days? I feel like even like the people who are living with their partners are starting to long for love motels, whatever shape that might come in. Um, let's not go into the whole touching thing again that I am sure most of us miss. I mean, today I had my first, I received my first uh, handshake in how many months? I mean, the handshake is also um, something that has been eliminated. And um, today there was this... Uh, guy who lives in a boat in the harbor and I was just going for a walk and then someone wanted to introduce us and, and he came offshore and came off his boat and he wanted to shake my hand and I'm also I think just quite polite so I, I also took his hand and it felt so strange you know and I also told him and my first thought was just like okay my first thought was like now I'm contaminated and my second thought was uh, now I need to get this uh, gel, disinfection gel, because I can't have other another person's bacteria on my hand. And I mean, come on, this is so insane. I really, yeah, I mean, of course I was aware how sick this thinking was. And I know we have to be careful and we have to keep distance and all this, but a handshake doesn't kill you. And I think it's okay to shake another person's hand. In, in respect and then you can always disinfect afterwards you don't have to touch yourself in the eyes or in the mouth or whatever okay but about the text i really recommend you to read all of these letters against separation which is also a beautiful title and uh, i'm i'm looking at it now and there's some really beautiful uh, drawings from a notebook inside the text so uh, that's also an an extra motivation to maybe tune in to eflux and uh, have a look at these uh, drawings and i don't know there's also more than drawings there's also photographies i don't know where they come from i guess it's han means himself because there's no credits but um we will find out and then maybe we post one of them as well and the next text, um, the final text, the final reading today is from my dear friend Sophie, who I met many years ago in Mallorca, where she did the residency while I still worked and lived at CCA. And we have stayed in touch ever since, and I'm really, really happy about that. And I'm so happy that she's also uh, reading with us today. Hello everybody, my name is Sophie Erland. I'm a Danish artist living in Berlin and I'm reading to you today from my Berlin studio. I'm gonna read um, a new article by the French philosopher and anthropologist uh, Bruno Latour. It was translated from French by Stephen Muke and it appeared uh, in the AOC Critical Magazine uh, on the 29th of March this year. The title, I'm gonna read um, just a couple of excerpts because I think it's too long to read the whole article, but hopefully we can upload the link for the entire article on the uh, page of this reading circle. The article is called, What protective measures can you think of so we don't go back to the pre-crisis production model? 
Here goes. Perhaps it is a little inappropriate to project oneself into the post-crisis, just when the health workers are, as they say, on the front line, while millions of people lose their jobs and while many grieving families are not even able to bury their dead. And yet, it is right now that we have to fight so that the economic recovery, once the crisis has passed, does not bring back the same former climactic regime against which we are battling, until now somewhat in vain. In actuality, the health crisis is not embedded in a crisis because they're always transitory, but in an ongoing, irreversible ecological mutation. If we are lucky enough to come out of the first, there is no chance we will come out of the second. The two situations are not on the same scale, but it is very enlightening to articulate the one with the other. In any case, it would be a pity not to use the health crisis to discover other means of entering the ecological mutation without a blindfold on. The first lesson the coronavirus has taught us is almost the most astounding. We have actually proven that it is possible in a few weeks to put an economic system on hold everywhere in the world and at the same time, a system that we were told it was impossible to slow down or redirect. To every ecologist argument about changing our ways of life, there was always the opposing argument that of the irreversible force of the train of progress that nothing could derail because of globalization, they would say. And yet it is precisely its globalized character that makes this infamous development so fragile, so likely to do the opposite and come to a screeching halt. It is actually not just the multinationals or the trade partnerships or the internet or the tour operators that globalize the planet. Every entity on this same planet has its very own way of hooking up with each other and all the other elements that compose the collective at a given moment. This is true for the CO2 that is warming the atmosphere globally by spreading through the air and migrating birds carrying new kinds of flu. But it is also true for, we learn at our peril once again, the coronavirus that has the capacity to link all humans by passing by way of our apparently inoffensive droplets from coughing. Germs are super globalizers. When it is a matter of re-socializing billions of people, the germs make short work of it. It is at this point that we have to act. If opportunities are arising for them, the same is true for us. If everything has stopped and all cards can be put on the table, they can be turned, selected, rejected forever, or indeed accelerated forwards. Now is the time for the annual stock take. When common sense asks us to start up production again as quickly as possible, we have to shout back, absolutely not. The last thing to do is repeat the exact same thing we were doing before. For example, a Dutch florist was on television the other day, weeping because he had to trash tons of tulips that were ready for shipping. Without customers, he couldn't air freight them around the world. Of course, we cannot but feel for him, and it is right that he is reimbursed. But then the camera tracked back onto the tulips that he was growing without soil, under artificial light, before sending them off from Schiphol Airport on air freighters with kerosene raining down, which makes one wonder, is this really useful to prolong this way of producing and selling these types of flowers? One thing leads to another, and if we all begin on a personal basis to ask such questions on all aspects of our production system, we would become efficient globalization interrupters, 
just as effective in our millions as the infamous coronavirus as it goes about globalizing the planet in its own way. What the virus gets from banal droplets from coughing going from one mouth to the other, the halting of the world economy, we can also begin to imagine via our little insignificant gestures put an end to end that is the halting of the system of production. As we ask these kinds of questions, each of us into onto the task of thinking of protective measures, but not just against the virus, but against every element of the mode of production that we don't want to see coming back. Hence the primary importance for using this time of imposed isolation in order to describe initially one by one, then as a group, what we are attached to, what we are ready to give up, the chains we are ready to reconstruct and those that in our behavior we have decided to interrupt. As for the globalizers, they seem to have a very clear idea what they want to see coming back post-crisis, the same but worse. Fossil fuel industries, giant cruise ships as a bonus. It is up to us to confront them with a counter inventory. If in a month or two, millions of humans are capable of learning how to social distance at the blow of a whistle, to space themselves for greater solidarity, to stay home so as not to overload the hospitals, then it is easy to imagine the power of transformation that these new protective measures have against bringing back business as usual, or worse, against another battering from those who want to escape from terrestrial attraction forever. Then Bruno Latour ends, uh, as he often does, with some questions. Uh, he says, because I'm always obsessed with wanting to link an argument to practical exercise, I'd like to invite listeners to try to answer a little auto-descriptive questionnaire. So I'll read off the questions and I'll let you either answer them for yourself or just ponder um, the opportunity Bruno Latour gives us here for reflecting on where we are in society at this moment in time. Question one, what are some suspended activities that you would like to see not coming back? Question two, describe why this activity seems to you to be noxious, superfluous, dangerous, incoherent, and how its disappearing or putting on hold substitution might render other activities that you prefer easier or more coherent. And question three, what kinds of measures do you advocate so that workers, employees, agents, and entrepreneurs who can no longer continue in the activities that you have eliminated are able to facilitate the transition to other activities? And finally, question four, what are the activities now suspended that you hope might develop or begin again or even be created from scratch? Thank you for listening. Thank you so much, Sophie. That was a really good choice of text. And I think I will just start out by trying to answer your questions from my point of view. Because question number one, what are uh, some suspended activities that you would like to see not coming back? I think the obvious one I already mentioned is um, I think people should really fly less. And this uh, unfortunately includes myself. So it's also one of the things that I'm looking mostly forward to is to fly back to Vienna and to Mallorca. And these days I really want to fly to Norway to see my friend there. But it is also one of the activities um, 
that we should really change to a different um, extent. We shouldn't fly so much. That's that's pretty easy. And another thing is um, just um, the way we work or the pace we work in. I think it would be really good to um, slow down seems so like whatever. Mm, I think we should try collectively to stop performing so much and um, you know the queen of Denmark said a few years ago in her new year speech that um, we should try once in a while to do something um, unneeded or unnecessary and um, to be creative in a in a different way uh, than than performing for results and i think that was a really uh, clever advice she gave and um, i could also use that in my own life because i always want to perform and it's not very healthy in the long run so yeah maybe that would be nice to change in the future and then there was a question of yes what are the activities that you might that you hope might develop or begin again or even be created from scratch and of course the first thing that comes to my mind is um, my collaboration with the Svice House and I am really uh, looking forward to begin again and further develop and uh, who knows what we're going to create together from scratch but I hope you will all uh, answer these questions and maybe I should just add that I think I, I'm sure it's not by coincidence that Bruno Latour decides to bring in one out of a million examples uh, he brings in the tulips right because you all remember the tulip mania, the first um, speculation in the finance market um, that created the first bubble ever, which was the tulips in Holland in 1600s. And um, I mean, maybe that's also an activity we can all do less in the future i love i love to buy flowers and um for the last couple of months i haven't even been able to pick flowers myself in the forest because i don't want to kill any nature so i think uh, we can change our perspectives in many ways and something that I, he also points out indirectly Bruno Latour in his text and he also wrote it on Twitter the other day about his um, actor network theory and in general this object-oriented ontology is like um, you know we think that humans are the only actors sometimes and I think the virus has proven us wrong and proven that um non-human species can also have uh, an influence in a very very high degree 
on the whole world. And by the way, I think I want to end today by um, a sweet story because you remember my Italian friend Enrico from last week. He sent me a video again this week uh, with more dolphins that his brother had sent to him from their hometown. He said, now the dolphins are also here. And I just, uh, I just had this image in my mind of all the dolphins of the world or all the animals living in the sea. They are right now gathering for the first time in hundreds of years because... You know, finally, there's not so much traffic in the oceans and the sea, so now they can finally hear each other without being disturbed by all this noise. And yeah, I'm, I think they have a great party these days. So that that makes me smile a little. But thank you to everyone for listening today, and thank you for everyone reading today. And um, I think it was a beautiful episode with love from paradise and greetings from the white house in free fall i actually considered calling today's episode um from paradise to hell and back again because obviously we start in this paradise uh, garden of lena and lisa and then we go to the White House in Washington, D.C., which can sometimes seem a bit like hell. And then back again through the letters of uh, Letters Against Separation and uh, Bruno Latour's Looking into the Future. But actually, of course, I didn't like that title. Or no, but none of us liked that title so much. So I thought to call it from paradise to hell and never back again because that is somehow more what uh, Bruno Latour is also suggesting that we should really make sure to not make the same mistakes again we should um, use this uh, experience uh, to create uh, knowledge for how to also solve the climate crisis and I'm totally with him on that and yeah I hope we all agree on that but in the end, um, we decided to call it With Love from Paradise or From Paradise with Love and Greetings from the White House in Free Fall. And when I say we, it's um, Katja and uh, Ina and me because um, we are, of course, always creating this podcast together. And I just want to say how thankful I am for this collaboration. And um, I don't know what to do without you girls. So thank you once again. Thanks a lot. Alexandra and Aline and the whole White House in Vienna. Thank you to Das Weiße House. Thank you to Blockfrei. Thanks to all of you. Please stay safe. Take care of yourself send each other a letter it's really important write a diary that you want to read for us or maybe not just read it for yourself but uh, try to stay sane i think um i think a change is coming soon and please remember that there is no new normal and there shouldn't be any new normal 
this is a very unique chance to rethink everything and to become just try at least to become a tiny bit better in whatever we're doing first of all to treat each other better and especially to treat the planet better so this is everything from now I'll see you next week and take care ciao das Weiße Haus would like to thank Lisa Großkopf, Lena Schwingshandel, Alexandra Grausam, Eva Kovac and Sophie Erlund for sharing their voices. Many thanks to wonderful Malu Solfjeld for curating and organizing the readings and to Enade Dios Rodriguez for the technical production. <laughs> and thank you for listening. Join us again next Sunday at 2pm when reading continues at home.